Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. Speed, cost, quality. These are the concerns driving all consumer products companies today, especially in apparel. But to reach the goals set for each means achieving visibility into the supply chain. I am Edward Hertzman, founder and president of Sourcing Journal. Today, I'm joined by Gary Baracco of Amber Road to, to discuss why organizations that have improved visibility have been rewarded with more efficiency, desirable products, and higher profits. Amber Road is dedicated to helping companies improve margins, achieve greater agility, and lower risk. Welcome, Gary. Thanks, Ed. Good to talk to you again. So, Gary. Comparing today's retail environment with the past, why is everyone so focused on improving visibility in the supply chain now? And what do our power retailers mean when they refer to visibility? It's true, Ed. Anyone who reads the daily news in your publication realizes the greater complexity of our business today. Just look at the headlines. We've got fast fashion. We've got global competition, uh, changing demographics, these seismic political shifts, Um, the demanding consumer, uh, product innovation, and then let's throw in an NGO or two pushing around for ethical sourcing and sustainability. I mean, all rightfully so, but so many things are affecting apparel and footwear companies, and, and many of which brands have very little control over. So there are some things that companies can have better control over, and supply chain visibility is one of them. Generally, visibility means that you know what's happening throughout the product life cycle of your goods. And that's really important throughout the product life cycle. And I'll talk further about that later. But where is it happening? Where are your goods at any time? And where is there risk that can enter your supply chain at any time? Now, there's very different levels of visibility by people's definition. And when I define visibility, there's a few components. First of all, it's full end-to-end visibility from design to receipt into the customer's hands. I think of it as a clear glass pipeline with your goods moving through nonstop with no issues. And that allows access uh, to every piece of data on any given product at any given time. That clear pipeline lets us see where things are as they move through the supply chain. And it's important beyond being called like a buzzword, you know, supply chain visibility has been thrown around for years. The most important part of supply chain visibility is if you can't control what's happening, visibility means nothing. And by that, I mean, if you can stop the supply chain, if you can speed up the supply chain, if you can alter the direction that it's moving, that's what's necessary. 
And where we are right now at this moment is all of this digital technology that people have talked about. And, and there's so many awesome and rich capabilities and tons of data. We see that in, in our world of social media and all the platforms. We know that a single tweet can circle the globe in a matter of seconds and change the way businesses operate. So it's not really a stretch when we look at our supply chain and all of the data to run the supply chain to get that level of full visibility and instant access. It's something that's necessary. And it's not on paper anymore. It needs to be realized in our supply chains. So ultimately, CEOs aren't happy and investors aren't happy and customers aren't happy. And the brand can go downhill if we don't have the right level of supply chain visibility in our world today. I think that was very well said, and and uh, you touched on a lot of points. So let's let's circle back to um, competing concerns, right? So there's a lot of competing concerns that 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 apparel executives are fighting over today, whether it be the need for better quality, the need for speed, the need for uh, cheaper cost. It seems that these are things that people are having to to pin against each other. What is the outlook for apparel production costs, and what does this mean for sourcing? Well, you know, we've interviewed our, our apparel footwear customers. We met with them recently. And and overall, the industry's concern that costs will rise is there. Um, and these costs are coming from a lot of different places. It might be from the raw material. We have all the rising labor costs in, in the various sourcing regions, transportation costs on top of that, and then the cost of the last mile. So when you when you ask CEOs of these brands about their top concerns, it seems like year after year, we hear the same top three. Reducing costs is number one. Maintaining quality, especially in our demanding consumer world, and increasing speed and agility. So when I talked about that glass pipeline and I said you need to be able to control that glass pipeline and, and move things, slow them down and speed them up, that's agility. It's simple to say, but it's it's not really easy to achieve when we're talking about the expansiveness of these global supply chains. And, and that's that's why we see them every year, right? That's why they're perennial, right? Cost reduction is a big component of global sourcing. And then we throw in currency fluctuations. We throw in oil prices. We throw in all these different trade agreements and whether that's how and when they're going to affect pricing. Um, the cost of sustainability, I think to your point, it's, I think everything is pointing to a increased uh, cost of goods year over year. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Do you? No. And, and, and we're still, the U S market relies on imports. I know that, um, you have, uh, you published this great infographic that you shared with American Apparel and Footwear Association about the U.S. imports and, and what an impact. And those numbers are, are translating into action because we're seeing you know, a, a slight but consistent shift away from China, which is amazing. China has always been the source, especially for apparel and footwear. Um, they've been the number one sourcing destination for years, but the increasing cost of labor there and the improved opportunities in other countries are making a real dent in, in China's place in our world factory. Um, and so where we always had this uh, sourcing model that was China plus one, many companies are shifting to the China plus many. And, and where they're taking a look at other opportunities, not just one new location, right? Vietnam for the longest time when we, when we were hoping for TPP, but now it's China plus many, not China plus one or China plus two. I would say plus many. 
Um, right now, 1% of shoes are produced locally here in the United States. Only 1%. China still has the greatest market share, but Vietnam and Indonesia, Cambodia, Thailand, they're all on the rise. And I think that there's a trend we're going to see stopping. It's not, it's not going to stop or slow down anytime for sure. So, you know, uh, speaking of China, um, the ongoing trade war between the U.S. and China has has certainly complicated trade. It created a lot of uh, panic, hopefully unnecessary panic um, and concern. Uh, but how has it made visibility into the supply chain that much more important? Well, let's think back before the current trade war and let's think about what was happening in China, let's say, seven years ago. Um, we saw the labor costs starting to rise already. One of our customers, a footwear manufacturer um, that has you know a couple hundred brands, um, started to diversify out of China because of all of the the reasons uh, uh, that were things that were going on in the regions of China. Because of all of the reasons that they should move out of China, especially for footwear manufacturer, were there. There was the promise of TPP to move to Vietnam. Um, there was the rising labor cost. There was the comparison of the B to the U.S. dollar. All of this was happening seven years ago. And so brands should have looked to move out of China and diversify out of China then. And this one footwear manufacturer did that. It took them seven years. But nine, uh, seven years ago, they, they were 99% sourced in China, and now they're down to 68%. It didn't come without some some issues and some pain and growth. Um, they're now sourcing in Vietnam and in um, North Africa, um, but all of that comes with with its own obstacles. So back to our current trade war, right? When we throw that into this mix of what's been happening, um, you know, what happened started happening seven years ago. Um, it seems like the news has a different hot take based on whatever the latest deal is between Trump and Xi. But um, the current tariffs aren't going, are they going to jump from, from 10 to 25? This is throwing everybody into tailspins. There's so much we could say about China, but the bottom line is you can't understate the importance of that country to our industry, to the manufacturers, and, and also the un, uh, uncertainty that we're facing with China today. Um, it's really a cautionary tale for many companies, not just the apparel footwear industry, but um, manufacturers, pharmaceutical, um, the auto industry. Everyone's struggling right now, and it's the number one concern for CEOs. Reducing cost, and China plays into that equation, Ed. So if there's one lesson that the industry has, has really learned uh, from these tensions with China – uh, it's that companies need to diversify, and as you just said, you know they're, they're racing to implement this this China plus many initiatives. Um, you know, one of my concerns is that there's just not a, enough capacity globally to for companies to move all their production out of China in a, a just overnight. So, what do you think are, are some of the things that companies need to consider when when trying to mitigate their risk and move things out and start to diversify their their supply chain? Well. Um, sourcing patterns shift for many reasons. It's not just tariffs, right? Um, the geopolitical tensions might be deeper than just duty management. There's environmental changes, the raising labor costs that I talked about. There could be higher risk in certain areas, and it could be um, environmental risk, for instance, right? Major flooding, um, uh, earthquakes, things like that. But 
uh, sourcing always shifts because you're looking to balance the risk and the cost. And as you find that balance, it becomes a critical factor in all of the elements that make up the cost of your finished good. So if you're moving for a lower labor rate, uh, to qualify for a free trade agreement, to avoid the tariff, um, you need to consider every line item in the total landed cost. Uh, you need to look at them in isolation of each other. And this might result in in, in a, a stronger costing model that your organization has to take. Um, a lot of companies are doing this. All you have to do is, is kind of look at all of the other changes. Top tier manufacturers, brands are diversifying in other regions in response to what we're seeing in China. But also, what are we seeing in the European Union? What are we seeing in the United Kingdom? Uh, brands like Vera Bradley and Abercrombie Fitch, Chico's, they have all started to diversify their sourcing portfolio, and they're rather public about it. Um, other companies are not. Like you said, it's not an easy shift. You can't just shift production away from areas where we've been for hundreds of years. And it, it can't be only because of the trade cost. You need to look at the impact that the, the inputs, the raw materials have on your cost. And, and what are the components? Can I source them in another area? And if I do, can I really make the tariff shift? Or am I still going to pay the tariff? The best way is for companies to um, listen to what's happening in, in, in the world, uh, the, the, the world of global trade, to understand that supply chain pressures are not going to go away and you need to make a change and be brave and lean in. And wherever you shift, realize that it's going to come with a cost. It might take longer for you to get up to quality or up to speed to meet your customer demands. Um, and you need to uh, closely manage um, your line items when you're looking at cost reduction. So, Ed, you're right. Shifts don't come easy. So, you know, whether or not the U.S. and China resolve you know, the, these trade tensions, um, is there things that companies should be doing now to minimize the effects, no matter what the outcome of, of this trade war is? Yeah, we there's a lot of forward-thinking brands that are, are looking at the boundaries of innovation in this area. And they're using technology to analyze the tariffs during the early stages of product concept and design. Now, I talked about this years ago when we had the cotton crisis. Remember when cotton rates went up, there happened to be some major flooding in India, um, and it flooded all the cotton fields. And then cotton prices went up for a good year. I think we saw uh, cotton prices escalate. And that's when I first started talking about tariff engineering um, and, and doing line item cost management. Um, so tariff engineering, uh, is done early in the stages of product concept and design so that you can kind of take advantage of these new markets and, and it gives you full visibility into the pre-production stage of things. Um, what it does is involve making material and components and assemblies and strategic sourcing decisions based on tariffs and commodity costs at the time of purchase and production. Um, so I'll give you an example. Columbia Sportswear, they've used tariff engineering for years. They, they adjust their products to lessen and, and their product specifications to lessen the import taxes on materials from outside the U.S., like rubber soles and zippers and uh, waterproof nylon. So it requires real-time data uh, on what the duties are today when I'm buying and importing. 
Um, this has to be accessible to your collaborative team of designers and developers and sourcing agents and logistics analysts so that they can look for the right supplier, the right party, and make the right product at the right price um, and the right cost, right? And, and the time and the right level to avoid any penalties. So this type of strategic sourcing decision needs to take place. And the best way to do that is to leverage technology to do that. Um, you need the tools, uh, sourcing professionals, up-to-date data. All of that needs to feed into a platform and, and make that, uh, that help companies make those sourcing decisions for them. So, Gary, we, we talked about obviously cost being the, you know, the number one concern. I don't want to say the number one, but obviously a very, very top priority uh, amongst brands and retailers today. But you know, you also mentioned that quality is another key concern. What's the connection between quality and supply chain visibility? Yeah, I think so. You're right, Ed. You know, cost is a the number one concern, but there's it's not the only number one concern. There's more than one. But quality control, when you think about it, is a big cost driver. Right, so our fickle consumer today wants things of of competitive quality. When you and I are shopping online at an e-commerce site or in a marketplace, we'll look at the the um, the customer feedback from other people that bought this. First thing I look at, how many stars? Right? Oh, it's a good price, but how many stars? So NRF actually estimated that um, last year's holiday season. Um, that there would be an overwhelming amount of returns. They estimated 11 to 13% of the purchases. And, and that came true. It's a big chunk of change. So if you're now having to deal with all of those returns, then that's a cost adder. While you're never going to eliminate returns, addressing the reasons for them before the consumer even purchases the product is key. So if it's a quality issue that we're talking about, that's something that can be prevented, right? And that fully visible supply chain, that clear pipeline, allows you to identify and resolve those issues earlier in the process, automating the procedures, flagging the, the, the products in place using the latest technology. And this is where, you know, a worldwide sourcing strategy can, strategy can come into play. And if you've got quality issues with one manufacturer, then you can move it to another. Spread that manufacturing out and mitigate the risk. And, and this is another good reason for diversifying your supply chain. So we talked cost. We, we talked quality. Um, the, the last piece of the puzzle that we haven't really talked about right now is speed. And the industry is is really preoccupied the past couple of years with with slashing the development timelines, getting product into stores quicker, reducing inventory levels, you know, et cetera, et cetera. How can this all be achieved? It's easier said than done, Gary. But but what are you seeing happening at the brand and retail level to make this happen? Well, when we talk to customers about cost and risk and agility and which one is most important, they said, well, agility. Because the others I have better control over, but agility is really tough. And agility goes in line with speed because you want to be fast, but you also want to be able to dodge and, and move, right? And so they go hand in hand. The best way to attain good speed and agility is with visibility. So if you can't see where you're going or what's going on around you, or, or if you don't know where your goods are in the supply chain, how are you going to move quickly and beat the competition? You just can't. So really, supply chain speed is directly related to cost, which is directly related to visibility. So when you automate all of these processes and you execute the functionality, 
you're creating efficiency and that leads directly to reduce costs. And so the most important factor here is collaboration and communication. Fast, agile supply chains excel at connecting all of their disparate teams together. And we're talking about you know raw material suppliers, finished goods suppliers, customers, um, logistics providers, everyone that's part of it. And then for every cross-border movement, there's literally hundreds of pieces of global trade data that need to be shared. And, and then we need to generate shipping documents and transportation schedules and, and maybe manage our duties, right? So all of these are cost factors that we talked about earlier and in the trade war and, and Brexit and things like natural disasters, geopolitical conflicts, all of this upheaval requires an agile supply chain. So, so if you're still operating like it's 1995 or 2005 or even 2015, you're not going to be able to react swiftly for to, to today's risk factors. Agility is the vital to efficiency, which is uh, only comes with great end-to-end visibility. Gary, you know you've you've really done a, a great job of emphasizing how critical uh, supply chain visibility is. Uh, but the question I have for you is now that, you know, we understand its importance, but how can companies achieve this, you know, quote-unquote glass pipeline that that you've described earlier? Well, consider something that everyone uses and most people hate, Excel spreadsheets. Um, and we've been talking about Excel spreadsheets for years and saying, listen, you need to do away with Excel spreadsheets. You need to move everything to a cloud-based platform that's collaborative. But Excel spreadsheets, you know, still have their uses and, and people love them, even though they're a pre-2005 tool that we're trying to make work in today's fast-paced global trade arena. And we need to realize that's not going to happen. Now, obviously, coming from a technology provider, I'm going to tell you the solution is technology adoption, right? And that's moving to faster technology with greater data, converging together, collaborating with all of those parties that I talked about. So where do you start? Well, let's first look at, at where, you're, where you're, you are starting in your organization. What's the status quo? What are your current processes? What's your supply chain map? What technologies do you already have and are they connected? Um, what technology can I introduce? And it's not always about switching your technology provider. It's more about stacking and layering those, right? And we call that building your supply chain stack. And if we look at things from different ways, the first thing we need to do is to say, what are the goals of our supply chain? Don't make them too big and lofty. Focus on smaller goals, right? Cost reduction, 1% the first year. Then we'll look at 2% the next year and grow and grow. So there's the question that comes up is like, what technology do I need? There's tons out there. You and I have talked about the amazing things through IoT and blockchain and AI and and machine learning. All of this stuff is out there. So explore, see what's out there, build yourself a supply chain technology stack that's going to work for your solution. Ultimately, Don't forget that the big picture here is to keep your global trade moving at a pace that's required to be the best company in your industry. Provide the best and highest uh, quality product that you can provide and do that at a cost that is, is going to hit the marketplace and make you number one. And if you can harness all of those rights all together by leveraging technology, it's going to help you differentiate from the rest. 
So Gary, I think you give have given our audience a lot to think about today, and um, I really hope you join us again uh, on on SJ Radio. But for those that are listening that want to get a little bit deeper, want to get into the real you know minutia of everything you, you've you've discussed, what would be the best way for someone to reach out and get get in touch with you? Um, you can visit our website at www.amberroad.com. Uh, and on that site, I encourage everyone to subscribe to our blog post and our newsletter. Just incredible stuff that's put, put out frequently through those two forms of communication. It doesn't mean we're putting you on our call list. Um, it me- merely means that we're going to send you some great information and news. Global Trade Talk blog publishes maybe once or twice a week. Uh, with key information. And if you are subscribed to our newsletter, there's deeper trade information. And oftentimes you might see an article two or two of us in Sourcing Journal. Thank you again, Gary, and uh, look forward to connecting soon. Thanks, Ed. Have a great day. You too. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.